Father, I thank you for your mercy and your grace. I honor you this morning, Jesus. I thank you that you're alive and powerful. And even when your people forget you and we forget you throughout our day, thoughts that you have towards us are more than the sand of the sea. And one day all this will be wiped away. And everything that we thought was important will be reduced down to seeing just you. And I pray that your church is ready for that day. Because you're not impressed with our theology. You're not impressed with our ability. You're impressed with our submission and our faith to trust you as the good father that you are. So I pray that your word would be like fire. And I pray for that it would flow from the throne of God. That our hearts would be open, our ears would be open, our eyes would be open to see you. And Lord, as we move from this place into this week, we would hear your voice be called to the secret place to be with you. wouldn't have a version of Christianity that keeps you a, a close second, that our heart would be on fire and entangled with the kingdom of God and the seeking first of your righteousness. Lord, I pray peace over your people right now, and I pray that they would feel your heart. Holy Spirit, that you would begin to move in their minds and their families and their circumstances and bring about the will of God. We pray these things, believing and asking them in Jesus' awesome, powerful name. Amen. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate y'all. Amen. Amen. Is everybody okay? All right. If you have a if you have kids and you want to send them back, you're more than welcome to. If you want to keep them with you, you can keep them with you. We're good either way. Uh, welcome, everybody. If you're new here, welcome. If, uh, if what we do isn't normal for you, then thank you for being patient with us. And uh, if you disagree with us, that's totally fine, too. Just pray for us. Uh, maybe one day we'll be as spiritual as we need to be. Till then, we're going to keep going. Amen. Um, you know, I, I find it interesting that the church loves to major in the minors. She loves to pick apart each other and figure out what they disagree with. And, you know, the world knows more about what we don't believe in than what we do. Did you guys know that? <laughs> I think it's time for them to know what we believe in. Oh, there we go. Thank you. All right. Uh, I do have a quick announcement for those of you who are interested. I think the worship team knows already because they're going to be a part of this. But June 4th, I believe that's a Saturday, I think, uh, over here at the park, we're going to do an outreach conjoined with several other churches. Um, it's going to be from 4 to 7 p.m. And uh, it's actually McKinley's son-in-law who's putting a lot of it together. So they're asking for anybody who's interested to help to get with me today, and I can get you their information uh, to help maybe serve or organize or whatever it might be um, to announce this this morning to you guys. Otherwise, we'll, we will be over there uh, Saturday from 4 to 7, June 4th. Um, so if you have a heart to help with that, just get with me after service I think they're needing some, some workers, and so it's going to be good to have the churches get together and uh, show the community what we, what we believe in and not what we disagree with, right? I don't care where you go, you're going to find something you disagree with. I go to your house, I promise you I'll find something. You come to mine, I promise you it'll be the same way, right? You preach a message, I promise I'm going to find something I disagree with. Same way here. But that's not what we focus on. We focus on the love of Christ that's been placed in our hearts. That's changed our lives. Amen? All right. So now that we got that out of the way, 
Thank you so much for your thoughts and prayers. We uh, have missed you guys tremendously. Uh, Tahila and I, I told several people this, but while we were suffering on the beach, we uh, would see places that we thought, man, that could fit our whole church. We just need to bring everybody down here. And so our thoughts were with you as well, and we did miss you guys. We prayed for you, and, uh, you know, I don't know what most people do, but when I go on vacation, I, I can't forget my family. So you were in our thoughts, in our minds, in our hearts as well. So we did, uh, we did miss you. So thank you so much for the blessing, for being able to go and, and the prayers uh, while we were there. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 3, or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 3. We're going to go there first. Um, you know, I, two weeks ago, I uh, preached a message called Hidden in Revelation, and it was basically talking about how Jesus hides himself in his revealing of himself to us. It's a little bit of an oxymoron, but it, it makes sense. When, when God shows up to our life and does something in our life, I don't care if it was the day you got saved or something in between or a major thing that God has done in your life, there was something about that moment and something about that time frame in which he touched you that you still haven't fully unpacked. If you think you have, then you need, you need to repent because that's religious. To think that you can ever unpack the fullness of God is absolutely silly. What I'm saying is, is that when Jesus shows up to us, there's a reason more than just what happened. There's a reason that he does things the way he does them. And we usually rejoice in the overflow and the affection and the emotion and the power of that moment. And we miss the reason of why he revealed himself in the first place. Does that make sense? Because God doesn't do things just to simply do them. He doesn't do things to make you feel good. That's part of it. He does things for the betterment and the advancement of his kingdom propagated by his son's blood and the power of the Holy Spirit to his glory and to his praise. That's why he does things. We're a part of that. It's so crazy how much even progressive, and I don't mean progressive in a wrong way, but I mean in a powerful, spirit-filled way, Christianity, progressive Christianity has made the movements and the revivals of God about themselves. The touches that we receive at the altar and the times when we're in our prayer closet or where they're going to conferences and seminars, we love those times because God makes us feel good when he touches us. However, that revelation of Jesus to us in that moment is something we normally miss the reason why he shows up and does it in the first place. We just assume it was to make us feel better about our situations, to fix our problems, and then pat us on the butt to go back into our selfish lifestyles. Right? Like, you know, go back about your business. You feel better now. You have your peace back. No, the reason he touches us is to be able to get us to a position to know him more. It's an invitation to something greater. So every revelation from God is an invitation to know a deeper realm of his spirit. That's why we have the book of Revelation. It's the revealing of Jesus. Right? And Jesus revealed himself to John. And if we would have stopped at chapter 4, that would have been enough. You're talking about a man who walked with Jesus for 60 years. So this is, this, this is a real big pet peeve of mine when I run into religious spirits. Religious spirits elevate themselves over everybody else thinking they know the right way, they know the right thing because of their past experiences. And they judge and measure their past experiences according to the experiences that they're talking to with the person they're meeting with. And they decipher in their mind whether their experiences are greater than yours and then they elevate themselves over you if their experiences are greater than something you've experienced. You know what revelation really is? It's a divine correction upon bad human thinking. So you can boast in your revelation, but all it is is God correcting a thought process that you had about him that was wrong. Go ask John in the book of Revelation. This guy walked with Jesus for 60 years. He was the most seasoned apostle of all 12. He saw more, experienced more, had more understanding than any of the rest of them. The rest of them had been martyred and gone, and he's still trucking in the gospel, establishing churches, healing sicknesses, raising the dead, and seeing Jesus move in people's lives. And yet he comes to this place where it's his time to be exiled to a prison work camp. They, try, they, they tried to throw him off a building, and that didn't kill him. They tried to boil him in oil. That didn't kill him. And so they get rid of him because he's too impactful to his generation. 
Imagine a church that's too impactful for their generation that the world has to get rid of you. We haven't even touched that yet. Why? Because what John experienced in Jesus in the revelation of who he was caused him to come to a point in his life where that revelation took on flesh in his life and changed the the environment and the community around him. Most churches' revelation or people's revelation of Jesus doesn't change anybody, and it barely changes the person it touched. Because in two to three weeks, they're right back in the same hole that they were in before. No amens? It's that other church, right? It's not you guys. Okay. So John comes to this point in his life where he's got this powerful understanding. I mean, if you walked up to this man and said, do you know who Jesus is? He's going to say, bro, let me tell you who Jesus is. And then Jesus shows up to John in Revelation. And you've heard me talk about this because this this is a point that keeps me grounded. This is a point in the Bible that keeps me on my face. Because you have this man who's way farther than anybody else in this room ever would. If you put all of us together, we still wouldn't come up to the level that John was at at this point in his life. And he sees Jesus in a new element. God calls him higher than where he's at. And he titles this book the book of Revelation, the revealing of Jesus. To to have Jesus revealed. John doesn't need Jesus revealed to him. John knows who Jesus is. No, John only knows the part of Jesus that he knows. There's a bigger part of Jesus. And Jesus calls John into that. He calls him up higher from where he is. Right? And Jesus, when John sees Jesus, it says this. He says, I fell at his feet as though I were dead. And you have all these people who think they know the right version of Jesus. And I'm like, well, how come you're not falling at his feet as though you were dead? Because you've gotten comfortable with the Jesus that you know, and he's trying to call you out of that. And every time he touches your life, he's asking you to come higher. He's not doing it to condone and to uh, in, in, enforce where you're already at. I say this all the time. When, when the Spirit of God touches you, whether it's in your church or your home or this church or wherever it might be, when God touches you, it's not a condoning of where you're at. It's an invitation to something greater. And we just take it as our, oh, Lord, touch me on Sunday. Why? Well, because I was just so down, brother. Well, is that the whole point of why God touched you? Of course it does lift you up. Absolutely. He does lift people up. But when he told John to come higher, it wasn't for the sake of elevation. It was, the first, it was for the sake of revelation. To reveal Jesus. When God touches you, it's to reveal Jesus to you. And there's, there's no greater group of people in America today that need a revelation of Jesus in the church. If we define our relationship with God by past experiences, congratulations, you're religious. All the while shaking your fist at religion. Does that make sense to you? Are you with me? There's a purpose to why God touches. That's the recap. Okay, so if you want to listen to the message, it's on the website. You can go back and listen to it. If you don't, that's fine too, right? Matthew chapter 3. Here we see what we call the beginning of Jesus' ministry. With me? Okay, so I want to ask you guys something. Is Jesus the Word? Was he the Word before John's baptism? The power of the Word of God enfleshed in humanity. Was he the word before John's baptism? Then why didn't he minister the word? Why, if he was the word, why did he wait till now to start his ministry? See, a word is not good enough. And Jesus waited on something else that we have to also have in our life as well. And I'm not talking about just one moment with baptism of Holy Spirit. I'm talking about a life in the Spirit that makes the Word tangible, expressible, and powerful. The Word without the Spirit is death. True or not? 
Yet we put all this emphasis upon the word, and that's where these religious people get caught into, is they, the word, the word, the word, the word. Am I against the word? Absolutely not. But I'm against the letter without the spirit. Absolutely against that. Why? Because I was raised in it, and it just about killed me. So y'all can have that. And you don't like it? Go somewhere else. <laughs> How can you say that? Well, because I'd rather stay. I would rather give life to people than to try to recreate something that there's a million of out there. So then comes Jesus from Galilee, verse 13, to the Jordan, unto John. Why is he coming here? Why was the word revealed? To reveal the Father. Right? To be baptized. Let me ask you this. This, is, this chapter has always really caught me because why does Jesus, who is without sin, need to be baptized? I mean, that really makes, a, makes your reputation look real bad. You're the Son of God. You're without sin. You're the Lamb of God. You're without flaw. And you're getting into the waters of a sinner's baptism. Yet you're claiming to be without sin. Kind of like being born of a virgin. You're pregnant. Mary's like, I'm pregnant, but I'm a virgin. Everybody's like, oh, sure, you are, Mary. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Jesus is getting in the water. I'm not a sinner. I'm not a sinner. Sure, Jesus. And why are you getting into sinner's baptism? See, the way God works is beyond your understanding. It's always going to be an offense to you and me. The way God moves, the way God does things is always going to be an offense to how we think things should happen. Now, John is the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, true or not? Jesus says this. And the greatest in this moment misinterprets the entire situation. He looks at Jesus and says, wait a minute. This, you have this wrong. Like prophetically, he's accurate, but he's so wrong. This is what happens with the religious spirit. Technically, they're right, but they're really wrong. And they're confident and they're wrong. And John's confident he's right. Imagine standing, looking at Jesus and telling him, you're wrong. We do that all the time in prayer. Every time we say, God, why'd this happen? Why'd you let that happen? You know what we're saying? You were wrong. You screwed something up. You let, this shouldn't have happened this way. You with me? It's real quiet in here. All right. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of you, and you come to me. And Jesus said, suffer it be now, for thus it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. It's amazing that he said, thus it becomes us. It behooves us to fulfill all righteousness. See, you know, I, my mind, my religious mind says that Jesus could fulfill all, all righteousness without anybody else. But in Jesus' mind, it, it took somebody else working with him to fulfill all righteousness. That's a different sermon I can't go into. I don't have time this morning. And so he was baptized, and he straight up went out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove and lighting upon him. Why did Jesus need to get in those waters? Because every baptism is a form of death. It's a walking away from something into something new. right? It's, it's the end of an old. It's, it's the beginning of a new. That's what baptism is. It's a declaration to the powers of the air and to the community of God that you're walking out of something that was old into something that is new, and you're declaring it publicly. And so Jesus didn't need to repent from sin, but he did have to repent from the former life he was living. It wasn't a bad life. But everything up in his life up to that point had been about preparation and submission to family and to the Judaic order. So that he could be all things to all men. And to suffer everything that we had to suffer under. And so Jesus has this transitional season where God begins to move in his life. And God touches him and he comes into this baptism. He says, now this, my life is no longer going to be about preparation. My life is going to be about the delivery of everything I've been prepared for. So he comes out of that water and where does he go immediately? To the wilderness where the devil is. 
You know, every time when God touches your life and there's something that happens, he's trying to get you to a point where he's going to send you to your greatest enemies. And then we wonder why things are getting so hard after God touches us. Because we missed the purpose of why we were touched in the first place. We thought it was to feel better about ourselves. He thought it was to empower us to go fight something that formerly defeated us. Does this make sense? So Jesus comes out of these waters and he, he, he has this powerful moment and then he goes into the wilderness and he, and he begins to take out the enemy and then he begins to minister to people. So he says, from this point on, my life is no longer about preparation, it's about others. Right? If in your Christianity you don't come to that point at some point in your life, you've missed the purpose of being born again. You know how people I know that have been saved for so many years and they've never even made one disciple? The call wasn't to get people saved. The call was to disciple people. Do you know what that actually entails? It actually entails you getting close enough, long enough with somebody to make them so much like you that they end up looking like the Jesus in you because you've spent so much time with them. It's not going to church once a week. That's not dis- this is not discipling. What I'm doing right now is not discipling. This is preaching the word of God. This is trying to get you to see things differently than the way you see them so that maybe you'll convince yourself to go live a different way when I'm not present. Discipling is when you literally grab hold of somebody and say, I'm not letting you go. I'm going to teach you and train you in the ways of the gospel. And you watch me, how I live, how I work, how I speak, how I talk, and how I do things. And you learn how to be Jesus through watching my life. You say, well, I do that with my kids. No, that's your tithe. You're supposed to do that. That's required. Most people haven't done it outside their own family. and Most people haven't even done it inside their family. So Jesus makes, if, 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 if any point your Christianity doesn't come to this place, you've missed, the, you've missed the point of the gospel. One guy says it this way. He says, if your gospel's not touching other people, your gospel's never touched you. We won't even walk across the street. To spread the gospel. But we'll come to church and pick the pastor apart. Because that makes us spiritual. Right? See, I've made disciples in my life. Because that's what it's about. I believe it was a command, not a, an option. At some point, the moves of God that happen in your life, in other words, the revelations of Jesus you've had, have to transition from how it made you feel into going into redeeming somebody else about how he feels. If you don't, the power of the revelation that you've gained will be lost. It'll be a memory. It'll be a testimony that nobody really cares about. (laughs) You with me? Guys, I've been doing this a long time, and I've heard some awesome testimonies. But no testimony I've ever heard has ever changed my life. I mean, they make me go, yeah, that's awesome. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, for that. That's great. Man, the goodness of God. But no testimony I've ever heard in my life. And I'm not saying you haven't had one, but I've never had one. I've never had somebody give a testimony so bad that broke me so deeply that I, that I got right with Jesus. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm just saying it's, it's, it's rare. That's, your testimony is yours. That's great. But at some point, we have to repent. We have to change how we think and know that the revelation that Jesus has given us about him, that moment in the river, that power, that wonder, that water, that moment where Jesus, that power, the Holy Spirit all through us, is not just for us to be, oh, wow, God's moving here. Why? Why is he moving? With me? And he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The endorsement of God comes upon the sons of God when they declare publicly and openly that they're no longer making their life about their preparation, but about the advancement of the gospel they're called to. God's endorsement upon Jesus Christ did not come as the word of God until he made his life about other people. 
Who wants to hear well done? Do you know you can't hear that unless you hear it in the context in which Jesus laid out for us and the context in which God said, well done, this is my beloved son in whom I well pleased, was the context of him taking his life away from himself, away from his morality, away from all his perfection, away from all his preparation into now it's all about everybody else. So much so it caused him to suffer beyond all imagination. Everybody wants to hear well done. But they want to hear well done within the context of my four no more. You know, the kingdom has many sons and daughters. And if you don't see that you're related to them, you don't know what the love of the body and the brethren is. Go ask Jesus. He said, who is my family? What he was saying was, my family isn't human blood. That's, that's what he was saying. He said, my family are those who do the will of God. And do you know how many times in church the community will bail on the brethren for blood every time? Even with blood that doesn't serve the Lord, they'll bail on the community every time for blood that doesn't even serve God. Because that's their family. <laughs> I might be your neighbor in heaven. Some of y'all are like, please God, no. <laughs> but I might be. And you might realize I'm more family than you care to admit. Some of your blood family may not be there. I pray they make it. But see, I want to say this. The word of the Lord required the spirit. True or not? Jesus is the word here. True or not? What gives life to the word? What gives life to the revelation that God's given you? The Holy Spirit. Not some generic past sense filling, but a lifestyle of a river staying in with God, pulling from the resources that God's placed inside of you that happened from an event a long time ago that you're still unpacking and unfolding to the nations and to the world and to yourself. You with me? The salvific experience that you had with Jesus Christ of Nazareth is still being unpacked in your life. It wasn't a one-time event. It's something that's constantly being poured out and renewed and released inside of you. You're seeing more of it come out and mature and mature. There's never just a one-time shot in the arm while God says you're good now. Does this make sense? So the word of the Lord required the spirit. A revelation of Jesus is not given for the experience but for the commission. A revelation with Jesus is not given for the experience but for the commission. You with me? Okay, how glorious would it have been for us to build a church right in that moment? The dove comes down, the power. The, the, uh, Mark's gospel says that the heavens were ripped. They were ripped open. It's the same word used in Greek as when the temple veil was ripped at the time of the crucifixion. The ripping of the heavens. just And God comes down and just, this is my beloved son. The water and the power and Jesus and, and the prophet. No, I mean, just amazing. Everybody's like, oh, let's build a church. That's not what happened. But that's what we do. We want to build churches on experiences. Do you realize almost every denomination we have is built upon an experience? Go back and study church history. At one point, they had a massive move of God in their life. Something happened. They built a church on the experience, and then they began to slip into tradition over hundreds of years until it died. Because the revelation wasn't for the experience, it was for the commission. It was for the empowerment of us being filled and clothed with God in the earth and making disciples just as he made disciples of his friends and family. Does that make sense? You with me? What I'm saying this morning is that if God's touched your life, there's a responsibility to every touch he's given you. And if you're not fulfilling that responsibility then you're undermining the power of the experience that you boast in. Does this make sense? Y'all yeah. are looking at me real funny. Okay. Put your rocks away. Okay, so what I'm saying here is Jesus didn't, okay, after this moment, Jesus didn't stop and pray for another move of the Spirit. 
did he? He didn't groan for another revival. That's what we do. We get touched, and then we start praying for another move of the Spirit. When's the next one coming? That's what people do. The church culture makes so much money on you guys. Conferences and seminars and this and that. and Oh, well, that's the, that's the next move of the Spirit. What have you done with the last move of the Spirit? See, see, we become spiritual addicts. That's what we become. We want to run from conference and conference and seminar and seminar and church to church where God's having. This is why I know that people who do that will never grow. You start making disciples and you'll grow, I promise you, because your disciples will press on every area of your flesh that you think you have under control and you'll realize you don't. They will challenge you. You start dealing with somebody's problems for a year or two or three, and after a while, everything inside of you that you think has peace is going to go, why aren't you getting it? And then you're going to have to go to Jesus and go, I'm sorry, Lord, help me love him. You remember those times where Jesus said it groaned in his spirit? You know what that means? Uh. Don't tell me he hadn't done that over you. You think he hasn't done that over you, you're, you're deceived. He's done it over me probably every day. Probably more than once every day. He probably looks at me and I'm his constant sigh. Thank God for mercy that endures for forever. See, he was not satisfied with the filling of God alone, which is what we are. We, we get satisfied with the touch. Jesus wasn't satisfied with this filling. The Spirit of God rested upon him. The Spirit of God was in him already. There's a difference between the Spirit being in and the Spirit being upon, biblically. Up until this point, it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that the Spirit rested on him. This is the first time that happened. Why? Because in my opinion, this is the first time that the Holy Spirit had the availability to rest upon human flesh since Adam because sin had entered the world. Spirit would come in the Old Testament and he would come and lift and come and lift and come and lift and come and lift and come and lift. He wouldn't stay. He wouldn't abide. But we see in the life of Jesus where the Holy Spirit abided on him. Guess what? That's what he's supposed to do for you and me. Abide on us. Where at any point, at any given time, whether we're suffering or whether we're excelling, whether we're going through a hard time or a good time, that we have the Spirit of God to be able to release in that moment. Then in our good times, we don't forget him. In our bad times, we don't curse him. Right? So spiritual hunger, the spiritual hunger, how many of you guys have, have ever experienced spiritual hunger before? We get so desperate for something more of God, you're like, man, I'm so hungry for something more. If you, if you have never had that, you need to get that. But see, the, the spiritual hunger we have cannot be satisfied until we become as he is. That's the spiritual hunger. That this, what you call spiritual hunger is your spirit man going, make me like you. That's what you're craving. That's what your spirit's saying. Make me like Jesus. Live in such a way that I have access to the throne of God. And that's where we're, we're getting spiritually hungry. But we mistake that spiritual hunger and the reason why that spiritual hunger is there for a filling instead of, instead of a knowing. To know him. And so what we do is that inner groaning sometimes keeps us pursuing a deeper revelation of Jesus. And it doesn't satisfy us. Because we want more, right? But we think that spiritual hunger is asking for more when actually the spiritual hunger is satisfied with doing more with what you've already received. But see, that's not as glorious. There's no, there's no declaration from heaven in those moments. There's no, there's no Holy Spirit coming down and resting upon you. There's no water. It's just you and a disciple or a hard situation where you're giving and you're giving and you're giving and you're giving and you're finding almost the end of yourself and then God begins to do things in you that you've never experienced before because you've been, you're giving out. See, some of you know what I'm talking about. Others have no idea. I'll tell you this. 
the things that caused me to grow, to grow the most in my life were not the conferences. They were not the seminars. They were not the times where God had me on my face. It was the time where I was poured out broken bread and poured out wine for everybody else. And then as I began to serve and serve and serve until I felt like I had nothing left, then God would come in in those moments and he'd be minister to me. And all of a sudden something would happen and something would change. And out of all the service and the sacrifice and the giving and the, and the sowing, I began to mature and grow, and then people began to look and go, what's going on with you? Because what I found out is this, is if I pour out everything I have, I will never pour out faster than my Father can pour in. You want more of God? Give more of what you have. See, most of the church is dead, and she is hungry for the Lord. Most churches are hungry for the Lord now. There's, there's a, even, a, even in some mainline churches, there's some, some hunger starting to rumble in some places because God's trying to stir his people and, and they're getting hungry for something. They just don't know what it is. But they don't know, in other words, to satisfy that hunger is not to get more, it's to give more. Why? Because our natures are, are craving to be like God. Because that's whose image we were made in. God so loved the world, he... When we remove ourselves from the DNA of his posture and his nature, then we're removing ourselves from the ability to fully experience him as he is. You want to be like Jesus? Be a giver. Which means it has to include more than just your plans and your life and your future and your money and your kids and your time and your this and your that. Selfishness will kill the move of God that he gave you in your life. It will. Again, for those of you who disagree with me, how many disciples have you made? See, I, I get a lot of people challenging my theology all the time, and that's the first thing I ask them. When's the last time you made a disciple? When's the last time you got somebody born again? They instantly shut up. I have not ever yet had somebody say it was last week. Because it's easier to throw stones than it is to build a wall. Isn't it? And you have those people who are sitting in the, in, in the pew who aren't working. When's the last time you stepped out of your Walmart line to talk to the person in front of you and go, hey, I just want to buy your groceries? Well, I don't have the money. Maybe God will provide it. Well, why would you do that? Because I just want to show you the love of God. Because Jesus loves you. You understand what I'm saying? You know, so many times I'll be in a fast food line and I'll pay for the person behind me. I don't, don't know him, never see him again. And it's, it's more than just philanthropy. I pray, God, bless that person. Sow something into their life. Let this offering that I'm giving you be multiplied back unto them. Being a constant giver. You, you understand what I'm saying? See, when God puts something in us, there's a filling. But within that filling, there's also a hunger. When God touches you, you also want more. But we think the more is another filling, another revival, another outflow, outpouring. Or when the filling is actually what the more we want is the, is the giving. What your spirit's craving is to be at work for the king. But we've just misinterpreted it in our head. We haven't repented enough to know because we made everything about ourselves. We're like, well, I'm hungry for more. More, Lord. More what? More glory on your human flesh? What, what, what did we do with the last thing that he gave us? Is this making sense to you? See, Jesus grew, did he not? The Bible says he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. My Bible says he grew. I mean, I know a lot of religious people like to think Jesus showed up perfect and just like, Poof. I'm not going to say he wasn't perfect, but I'm just saying like fully complete. No, he had, to, he had to grow into his own maturity. I mean, he didn't just tickle baby Jesus at six months old. and He was just like, oh, for God to love the world, he gave his only begotten son. That's not, how, that's not how it worked. You start quoting the word just because he's a baby. No, it's, he had to learn the word of God. He had to memorize scripture. He had to memorize Torah. He had to memorize all these things. He had to learn. He had to grow. He had to submit. And even when he was right, woman, it's not my time. To his own mother, she says, do whatever he says. And he submitted and surrendered. And 
to authority in his life. Crazy. He's God. He doesn't have to submit to a, a woman, nonetheless, <laughs> in that day and time. Woman's opinions were less than, than dogs in that day and era. For Jesus to submit to his mother in that moment when he was fully formed as a Jewish rabbi. See, this is the nature of God. It's who he is. You, you with me? See, I, I read this uh, two weeks ago, Proverbs 25, 2. You don't have to turn there. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search it out. When God reveals something to us, it's our responsibility to search out what he's revealed. It's our responsibility. Most people's touch that they get from the Lord is, is, is murdered because they don't take it any, anything past what happened at the altar. They just want to come back to church next week and have another experience. You with me? It's consumer-based Christianity. I want, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going we're gonna to read there. We're going to go to verse 25. It says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up. Now, in, in, that word lawyer is not the same as, as modern law goes. Okay? A lawyer was a master in the scriptures. These are, these are the guys who counted each letter and each dot in the Torah when it was being repeated so that way nothing was added or taken away from. They had the Bible down to knowing exactly how many characters there were, and they would count them all the way through, and if the number was off, they trashed the entire parchment and started over. <laughs> These guys knew the word of the Lord. They knew the Bible. This is not some guy who's just randomly asking a question to Jesus. He's had a revelation of the word of God in his life. He's a good, solid, not only churchgoer, but spiritual leader. You with me? This guy has clout, power in the church. He has experience. His, his, theologically, uh, his theological stuff is, is impeccable. Everything, is, everything he's got is, just, is, 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 is perfect. And he stands up and he tempts Jesus saying, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You know what he's asking? He's asking for more. He comes to Jesus, and he wants an answer. He wants something more from Jesus. He wants an answer. Right? So what's Jesus tell him? He says, what's, in, in, what's written in the law? How do you read it? It's interesting that Jesus says this. Why didn't he just say, believe on me, and you'll be saved? Isn't that what the Bible says? How do we get saved? We believe in our heart, confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, right? There's no, no prayer that leads somebody to salvation. We invented that. It's not in the Bible. We say, well, if repeat after me, that's all fine and good. I'm not against that stuff, but that's not biblical. You understand that? It says you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, and you will be saved. Why didn't he say that? Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and you'll be saved. Because Jesus wasn't going to give this guy any more than what he already had until he used what he already had been given. There's so many people in this room that are asking God for more and he's not answering your prayer because you haven't done what you should have done with what he's already given. And you're going to ask God for more and ask God for more. And then you know what's going to happen? Asking God for more is going to create greater spiritual frustration in your life because you're not going to get what you're asking for. And you're not getting what you're asking for, not because he's not giving it to you, but you're not, because it's because you're not using what he's already given you. The more you do what he told you to do, guess what? The more he gives you of himself. How many of you guys, and, I, and we went through this, I don't know, maybe five, six months ago. We preached on the power of obedience. How many of you guys have ever been stuck in your relationship with God and you went back and done the last thing that he asked you to do, which was a small, small, insignificant, almost seeming like stupid thing, like that doesn't even matter, and you did that and everything opened up to you all over. I mean, just everything opened up to you. I mean, his presence returned, glory came back, you know, blessing came back. I mean, just hearing things in the scriptures, you see stuff in the word, just all, oh, it's like, whoa! It's just like, it's like you poke the hole in the dam and it just, 
blew all over you. You remember that happened? That's exactly what I'm talking about this morning. We didn't do what he asked us to do with what he gave us, and then we blame him for not answering our spiritual rebellious prayers. We're asking him to give us more river when we haven't flowed out the river he's already given. You want to grow in the spirit? Start sacrificing your life for other people, and God will always give you more than what you pour out. You guys probably won't believe this, but the first sermon I ever preached was absolutely a train wreck. It was terrible. It was the worst thing anybody has ever heard. Why do I say that? Because over time, as I began to keep being obedient and getting up week after week, and it still was a train wreck, and it still was a train wreck, and it was still bad, and it was still hard, and I would go home so frustrated at myself and, and my inability and the fact that I knew I had more inside of me that wasn't coming out, and I, I would shake my fist at God, and, but I stayed faithful. And over time, things began to grow inside of me, and things began to mature, and I began to be able to see things differently in Scripture. And I, all of a sudden, the Word began to unfold itself to me in ways that Wow, I never saw that before. But it always came after I gave. The more I gave, the more I received. The more I gave, the more I received. The more I gave, the more I received. I wonder if the church isn't growing spiritually because she's stepped into an American-based consumer mentality where the pastor has to bring the word to you every week. I don't know where we got that. It's not biblical. If you can show me where it's biblical, I'll... I'll agree with you, but my Bible says that everybody should bring a psalm, a hymn, a spiritual song. Everybody should have a way to be able to minister to one another. Everybody should have a place to be able to to, to feed the body and, and each other. I mean, yeah, we have to have leaders and speak certain times, but it shouldn't be like this every week where it's like you get the word of the Lord from somebody else constantly. That's not how it's supposed to work. You have the same spirit inside of you that raised Jesus from the dead. I, I can't compete with that power. <laughs> This is no way. You with me? He says, what is it, how do you read it? It's important how you read the word of God. Jesus says, how do you read it? You know, some people read it wrong, don't they? It's interesting. I, I mean, this is so interesting to me that God would ask, how do you read it? What do you think about it? Uh, uh, I don't know. Tell me how I'm supposed to think about it. That's what I want to say. But that's not what he asked. And he says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and, with all your, you know, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, you've answered right. Do this and you'll live. God, give me more. Love me and love people and you'll be okay. It's hard to love people when you're picking them apart. Right? It's hard to love people when you disagree. Well, I wouldn't have said what he said that way. Well, you, it's because you're not me. Right? I love when I give somebody a job in this church because they always say, well, how do you want me to do it? I'm like, I don't care. You, you do it the way you do it. I don't know. If I tell you how to do it, I kill your creativity. And all you're trying to do is recreate how I would do it. And if that's the case, I might as well do it myself. So go, go do it however you do it. Do it. There's things they do. Guess what? I disagree with. <laughs> but I don't say anything because at least they're doing something. Are you following me? Love God, love people, give. And then all of a sudden, you're going to see that spiritual hunger inside of yourself being satisfied. You're not praying for more. You're praying for the wisdom to release the more that you have. I hope you're getting this. So you got to understand, at any moment, this guy could have said, Jesus is a well of information. Do you, do, do you all of you agree that he could have just started talking at this moment and just blown this guy's mind? I mean, has God ever done that to you where he just shows something to you and you're just like, oh, my gosh. Why didn't he blow this guy's mind? Because this guy wasn't taking care of what he already needed to do. 
Jesus wasn't praying for a greater revival. He wasn't praying for a greater manifestation. He wasn't praying for another river. He wasn't praying. I think if we just use what God gave us, what he gave us already, without having to pray for more revival, is enough to turn this nation around if we would just get off our rear ends and go do it. Like, I don't have everything I want in God either. There's certain things I'm praying for, but you know what? I have enough to make a difference. I have enough. You with me? So without obedience concerning the word we've been given, there will never be an expansion upon the word we desire. Oh, let me say that again. Without obedience concerning the word we've been given, there will never be an expansion upon the word we desire. A pastor, a leader can only take you so far. Period. Just like parents, you can only take your children so far. At some point, they've got to start figuring it out, don't they? Right? They've got to start figuring it out. They've got to start finding their own meat. They've got to start figuring things out on their own. The same way spiritually, at some point in your life, you're going to have to start getting out, getting beyond yourself, and getting into people's lives and making a difference. And it will be the hardest thing you ever do because people are selfish deceivers. Ask me how I know. I have been backstabbed so many times. But it never stops me from loving his people and taking a chance on another one. Every time somebody new walks through the door, it could be someone I fall in love with or someone that crucifies me. Either way, here's my heart. Because I know that there's power in sacrifice. While the rest of the church of Jesus is trying to avoid pain, the sons of God are pursuing it. Because we know what we're called to, to lay down our lives for one another. You think that's going to be painless? I don't know where we get this ethereal idea that love is this sloppy, agape, little nice goosebump. It's not. Love is when I forgive you because you are being horrible. Or vice versa. It's staying long enough to say, look, I'm not looking at you for your problems. I'm looking at you through the love of God. And I'm willing to walk with you. Amen? See, God, he hides himself in certain realities. And then he gives, he gives us these things. And it's up to us to, to seek out, to manifest wisdom, and to be able to give and release the wisdom that he's been given us. You understand what I'm saying? Let me say it this way. Knowledge gathers information. With me? That's what knowledge is. Knowledge is the gathering of information. And that's what the church loves. That's what she wants. She wants knowledge of Jesus. But understanding uh, sorts the information. It's able to compartmentalize it and make sense of it. Understanding gives us the ability to process what God has, has, has gave us in knowledge. But wisdom is the ability to apply the knowledge we've received. And wisdom comes by the Spirit of God. So the knowledge, the revelation of Jesus we've been given, we've been satisfied with that, but we need the wisdom of God to properly interpret and manifest and release that knowledge to the world. You with me? I hope you're hearing me. I'll go here and we'll, we'll close. Luke, Luke chapter 16, uh, verse 10 and 12, 10 through 12. It says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust in the much. If therefore you have not been faithful with the unrighteous things of this world, then who will give you or put to your trust the true riches of God? And if you've not been and if you have uh, not been faithful in the things which are another person's, then who will give you that which is your own? If we haven't been faithful with the revelation of Jesus we've been given, why are we asking for more? If we haven't been able to take care of our brother who's tangibly sitting next to us, 
And what makes us think God's going to entrust us with true riches, spiritual things? See, what you're going to find is, as you go on in Christianity is this thing is a whole lot less about you than you first thought. Until <laughs> so you get to the point where you're one day going to wake up and go, this has really nothing to do about me. It actually has everything to do about everybody else. And what we call ministry is, is developing something big enough where everybody looks at us. When true ministry is getting underneath the people you're called to serve and lifting them to the point that you want to be yourself. Right? Isn't that what you want to do for your kids? Yeah? You want to lift them higher than where you've ever been? How come you don't want to do that for your brother in Christ? How come you aren't just as jealous for your neighbor's growth as you are your own? Why are you more concerned about your problems than the person sitting next to you? I'll tell you why, because you think it's about you. It's not about you. In fact, the more busier you are fulfilling the desires of someone else, the less time you have to think about your own issues. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I got all this stuff going on in my life, but I don't have time to deal with it. God, you're just going to have to use me as I am because I'm broke, I'm weak, I'm busted, I'm not smart enough, but you know what? Here I am. You with me? I don't know where we got this idea that, you know, when we get saved, now we got to spend this, the rest of our life focusing so much on ourselves that so we'll finally be ready for ministry. Yeah, there's going to be a preparatory period. There's going to be times in their life where God's not going to bring it in certain things until you get to certain realities. Yes, that's going to happen. You don't give something somebody they're not, they're not ready for ahead of time. That's just the way it is. But, but you can minister where you're at somewhere. You can give every season of your life. You can give. If you're not bearing fruit, then you can cast shade. You with me? We got to get rid of the. We got to repent from the consumer-based mentality, where greater experiences are the are the fulfillment of the manifestation of God. Because otherwise, if that's going to happen, guys, all that we're going to be doing is looking around the world of where to go next. Where to, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen? When's the next move of the Spirit? And do you realize that when the Antichrist comes on the scene, he's doing signs and wonders and miracles? Will be a lot of people that you know that are going to be going to his conference. But he can heal the sick. Show me in the Bible where that's a criteria. Miracles are just miracles. They're confirmed the gospel. They're not the, they're not the essence of it. Of sick people who are healed, they still die. That's awesome. They get healed, but they're still going to die. I mean, should, should, should we heal them? The Bible says we should heal them, but we shouldn't focus on those things. We're, the revelation is given to know him, to know him, that everything that God does in our life, every touch, everything, this, the fact that he got you saved, every experience in your life, look back in your past right now, in your mind's eye, everything that God's ever done for you in your life, everything that God has ever done for you in your life was not given for that one moment. It was to build, to know him, to know him, to know him, to know him, to know him. And that Paul, toward the end of his life, and I, I say this all the time, toward the end of his life, he says that I may know him. Paul, you already know him. John, you already know him. No, you don't understand. If you ever get satisfied with the part of God that you've received that kills the hunger for the part of God you long to know, then you've experienced spiritual death. Because your experiences mean nothing to me. My experiences mean nothing to you. We can sit here and talk about them all day long and nobody's moved. <laughs> Go walk up to somebody on the street and start telling them about your theology. They don't care. But you know what they, they do care about? They can see whether you love them or not. Your, 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 your stuff is for you. Your theology, your experiences, that's for you. That's your gem. That's your pearl. That's your oil. That's your alabaster that you pour on his feet. But we have got to step out of the waters of preparation into the waters of commission 
before we're going to hear God say, well done. Does this make sense? So I wanted, to, I wanted to preach on this this morning, because as, as I was on my vacation this, this last couple of weeks, I, I, I was, this was ringing through my head, just this message I preached to know Jesus, hidden in Revelation. He reveals himself to us. And I wanted to expand on that to understand that we have to do something with the revelation he's given us. And sometimes, guys, trust me, when you step into part two of this sermon, if you actually go start trying to do what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm talking about, it'll be the hardest thing you ever do. You will have the crappiest weeks. You will have the hardest weeks. You will have the, you will, it will be so difficult. People will suck the life out of you. It will be so hard. Because you'll find out the more you begin to hang around these people and disciple them, the more you begin to love them. And the more you begin to love them, the more vulnerable you are to be hurt by them. That's why people don't want community, because it's like, well, if I get too close, they might hurt me. Yeah, they might. Right? But your husband hurts you, and your wife hurts you, and you still stay married, right? Hopefully. Pain's not the criteria. Love is. Everybody has a person in their life right now you can think of and say, God, this person's in my life. And it's probably the person you don't really want to be around. But you were that person to Jesus. You were that person to God. I was that person. And he pursued me. He pursued you. None of us were worthy of the pursuit. Lord, make me like you. What are you reading the law? Love you and love others? Go do what I asked you to do. Then I'll give you more. Amen. I can stand. You'll find that if you step out to do what I'm, I'm, what I'm encouraging you to do, you're going to have to stay on your face a whole lot more than you ever had to stay on your face for your own personal morality. People will challenge your, your power in the spirit realm more than your problems ever did. You understand what I'm saying? Even on vacation, I'm getting hammered by, like, calls and people needing things. And it's just the way it works. You have to continually be poured out for people and poured out for people and poured out for people. And some of them, it's like five, six, seven, ten years. It's like, oh, my gosh. Jesus, help me. Do you know how many pastors I know that after a year, a year and a half of dealing with one specific type of a person with the same problem for that length of time, they kick them out? I've experienced a bunch of them. They're tired of dealing with them. They just they start pushing them aside and, and not talking to them anymore. They get tired of them. I've dealt with some pretty hard-headed people for over 10 years. Some of them still haven't changed. And I still love them. That's all I can do. And I'll realize, I'll realize this, that when, when I minister to them many, many, many times, their ill treatment of me only ends in me looking more like him. So let's go. Send them in. But they might hurt you. They probably will. So if you're open for this, just begin to, just begin to close your eyes and just begin to think of the times that God's moved in your life. All the, all the experience, you may have a million of them. All the things he's done in your life. Every blessing, every touch, everything he's ever done. Everything. All he was doing is depositing something inside of you. To pull you out of where you are. To move you into knowing him. So that you can step into those baptismal waters and begin to make life about other people. And the places he might send you in your circumstances, in your jobs, in your careers, in your, your families, in your you know, church issues and everything else. They're they going to be hard. They're going to be difficult. Some of them may, be, they may just scare you. But he will be there for you and with you. And if you find a people to walk with you through these things, to hold you up as you begin to just pour your life out to the Lord. And you're going to experience growth like you've never experienced before in your life. But this kind of growth is long-term growth. It takes a year or two or three or four or five to begin to see it. 
And if you have a consumer-based mentality where you're just constantly like, God, give me more, God, give me more, God, give me more, that's fine and great. Keep praying for more, but understand at the same time that you've got to do something with the more you've been given. So, Father, we thank you. We ask for your grace upon this word. We need you, Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth upon the word of God. Every circumstance that's happened in their lives, God, I pray that you would reveal it to know in their minds and hearts that it was given to know you and to further your kingdom and your gospel in lives other than themselves. That this is not about us. This is about your people. It's about your kingdom. It's about your glory. It's about your honor. And we thank you for letting us be joint ministers of reconciliation. We thank you, Father, for letting us be one with you that you prayed in John 17. To be with you, one with you, as you are with the Father. So we ask these things and I pray over these people. Blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.